Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what Peter says, underline this, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Underline in that, in that verse, in the very beginning, where it says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses. Many people have this idea that the Bible was just written down and translated and, and somehow uh, uh, you know, spoken And then people were writing it down for thousands of years and it got all messed up. No, not the truth. Today on Truth in Christ Radio, Peter says, For we did not follow cunning devised fables. Welcome to our study. Today we learn Peter solemnly declares that the testimony of the apostles, the testimony they endured torture and gave their lives for, was not based on clever fables or even half-truths, but on eyewitness testimony. They were eyewitnesses of God's majesty. There were many occasions of Peter being eyewitness to his majesty, but one that probably stuck out in his mind was the transfiguration of Jesus, recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And now, let's join Pastor Rob for today's message. Spirit is the highest and most unique part of man that allows him to communicate with God. And the soul, that's the real you. That's your personality. That's who you are deep inside. That's what makes me different from from Chris, and that's what makes Chris different from Joe. We're all different. We have a different. We we have a soul, and that's the real us, our personality. And then, of course, the body is just a package that all of this is packaged up in. It's our physical makeup. Peter knew. He says, "As long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to remind you." He knew that his departure was soon. And that his natural tent would have to be put down and he would have to receive another at the rapture. Because we know that in 1 Thessalonians it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain, our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So this tent that we have is terrestrial, isn't it? It's made of the earth. We just read that. But for heaven... And to be in the presence of God, we will need a celestial body, a body that can withstand eternity, a body that can stand in the presence of God and is in in, in spirit and and to see him and not fall dead, a body that will never decay, a body that will never get arthritis, a body that won't have a tumor that has to be removed, a body that will never be riddled by cancer. We don't have time to go there, but I'm going to give you a, a reference, and I'd like for you to look at it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
verses 35 through 57, you can read about this body that we're going to receive at the rapture of the church. And certainly Peter was alluding to this. He knew that he was going to be putting off this tent. And he's going to be getting another house. He's going to be getting another structure. Very different from this one. Remember Jesus' body. He was able to appear and disappear at different times. There was something about his body that, and we believe that we're going to have the same body. Very different from our earthly body that we were born with. Let me just read in 1 Corinthians 15, just verse 50. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians, Nor does corruption, which we are, nor does corruption put on or inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die necessarily, but we shall all be changed. And he's speaking of the rapture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And he quotes here from the Psalms, O death, where is your sting? O Hades... Where is your victory? That is our blessed hope, folks. That is the earnest of our salvation. That's the down payment that God has placed within us. He's given up his, his spirit in us. But we wait eagerly, groaning, waiting for that day to be reunited with him in the new body for eternity. Let's go back to verse 14 of Second Peter. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Jesus, again, didn't just leave Peter and his disciples and us as orphans. Again, as a good shepherd, he goes before us. He gives us the example. He lives the example. Boy, we need examples today. So many awful examples in in our culture. So many bad examples in every area of life. And boy, how the world needs to see folks like us who are given our hearts to Christ and are living according to his word. You're never, you're never going to receive an accolade or a pat on the back. We know that. But what a glorious existence, isn't it? I mean, honestly, is there, is there joy in your life or is it just a drudgery? Folks, there's joy. And if you're missing the joy, you've got to get back. Get back to the word of God. Get on your knees and start praying again. Don't let the world just evaporate your, you know, the things that you know to be true. There's, some, there's a part that you have to play in it as well. I have to humble myself. I have to give my heart to him completely. And like it says in, uh, in the Bible, I've got to let him work out what God has already worked in me. Doesn't he say that? For God, it is God who works in you. He says, work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and then to do of his good pleasure. So I've got to let the Spirit of God work this out in very practical terms. But I can, I can, I can withhold it. I can say, no, I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to submit to this. And you grieve the Spirit and you know it in your heart when you do. Your heart is crushed. You, you have no witness. You feel discouraged. Is it, is it any wonder that you're, 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 you're flailing and you, you feel like that flag flapping in the wind? Your faith is just kind of wavering. Folks, dig in. Now is the time to dig in because the time is short. Things are happening. Things are going on. And God is saying, wake up, my children. Wake up. We have to wake up. We have to listen. 
So Peter says, knowing this, that I shortly must put off my tent, just as Jesus showed me. How did Jesus show him? Well, first off, in John chapter, um, John chapter 21, immediately after the resurrection. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, after my resurrection, I'll meet you in Galilee. And certainly they go up there, but in unbelief. And they're out there fishing, and they see Jesus on the shore. You remember the event. And Jesus is on the shore in a different body now. And Peter, once he sees it's the Lord, he jumps in the water, and he comes to the shore, and Jesus has this wonderful dialogue with him. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish that you, you've caught? Do you love me more than the life that you had before? Feed my sheep. He would say it three times. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And then in verse 18, in that same dialogue, Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. <laughs> and another will gird you and carry you where you, would, you do not wish. And this he spoke, verse 19, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. So not only did Jesus tell him how he would be martyred, but Jesus also went before him and before us already as the example. He went before us as the, as the example. And this is what differentiates true biblical Christianity, folks, with other cults and world religions. Because no other cult was concerned about sin. And it certainly wasn't concerned about an indwelling of a Holy Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit, like Bible-believing Christians are. And certainly no man, no holy man, no, or guru in the Far East, or, or even a Jim Jones or a David Koresh or a Joseph Smith from the Mormons or Charles Taz Russell from the Watchtower Society. None of them ever claimed to have paid the price for man's sins. And then go to the cross and accomplish it and rise again from the grave on the third day and ascend to heaven afterwards. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back to you. Did any of them say that? No, they didn't. He proved. Jesus alone proved, and he got the job done. But no one else. No one else. In verse 15, it says, Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Again, Peter knew he was going to go. His time was short. And dads, moms, uncles, aunts, grandfathers, grandmothers... How are you preparing your kids and your grandkids for the world that awaits them? It's important for us more than ever to be in the Word with them daily. It may be only 15 minutes. Young kids, are, they're like little eels. They're, just, they're so full of energy. If you can get 15 good, solid minutes with them in the day, sometime, spend that time, develop a family altar where you guys get around and just sit in a room and just read to each other. Pray with each other. Even if it's for 15 minutes, that's, uh, it goes by so quick. But do it. Be consistent. And share the truth with them. In verses 16 through 18 now, we look at the Word incarnate. And this is Jesus Christ. 
It says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what Peter says, underline this, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Underline in that, in that verse, in the very beginning, where it says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses. Many people have this idea that the Bible was just written down and translated and, and somehow uh, uh, you know, spoken And then people were writing it down for thousands of years and it got all messed up. No, not the truth. God gave to Moses those records. And the people in the New Testament, they were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. And it's proven itself over time. But notice this word fables. It literally means just a, a myth. He says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you all this. You know, I remember recently we were at an event and a pastor or teacher was talking to a room full of young people and really just undermining their faith by claiming that some of the parables and some of the things in the Bible really weren't true. Speaking of, you know, Noah and the fish and the great whale, whatever that beast was that, that Noah was in, or I'm sorry, that uh, Jonah was inside. A room full of kids. And he would say, I don't know if that's really true or not. I don't really think it is. And I'll be honest with you, sitting there that day, my heart broke, and I wanted to run up, and can I just be honest with you? No, I won't. (laughs) It broke my heart, because here's a great opportunity, especially for kids, and this man is supposed to represent Jesus Christ, and he undermines what Jesus clearly stated was a real person. Jesus knew that Jonah was real. He knew that Lazarus was real. And he has the audacity to come into a room full of youth and tell them, I don't know that any of this is true. I wish I had one of those long hooks and just kind of pull him off the stage and and just kind of gently take him in a car and usher him to some place where he can do something else with his life, like work at McDonald's, something. You got to do something else with your life, buddy. (laughs) But you don't belong here if you're going to continue doing this kind of thing. It's not a fable. It's not a story. These things are real. When Jesus said it was a, a, a parable, a, 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 a something to, to, to demonstrate something spiritual, he would say so. But certain times he'd be very specific. These were real events. These were real people. Job was a real person. He wasn't just something that somebody made up. He was very real. But this is what's happening into our world. People sharing fables and making up fables. The Mormon faith, I hate to say it, but when you look, I was just recently reading about Joseph Smith and how he received the golden tablets. Not too far away from here, about 25 minutes away, the Mormon church began in Palmyra. And he found, supposedly found these tablets that he wouldn't show to anybody. He'd always have them covered up and it could have been a broken radiator. That's what I think it was. (laughs) Supposed to be golden plates. Solid gold. Well, you look at the, the weight of those things. He, he, he could hardly lift that up if it was solid gold. But they were solid gold. Hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> and the things that he went through and the, the, the intrigue and the suspicion and all that nonsense, going into trances and, and, and interpreting things, even without the tablets present, let me tell you, there's enough there. Why is it secret? Why is everything so clouded in mystery? Oh, I can't show you. It's too, it's too much for you. No, is that the way God has done to us? No. Aren't you glad that your faith is not based on some wacky story, but based on eyewitness accounts? 
You really have to think about that because there are very smart people in colleges and universities. And I don't really care what they have after their, their names. I don't care if it says PhD, M, you know, MD. I don't care what they say. If it, if it goes against this, then they're wrong. It's that simple. I don't care how much influence, how much power they have over people. They don't have any power over the word of God. And folks, you have to be tenacious like that. You have to hold to this like a, like a pit bull. Have you seen a pit bull when they lock their jaw on a piece of meat? Sorry to be so graphic. Hopefully none of you had breakfast this morning. They can lock their jaw. They can lock onto it. And let me tell you, you're going to have to kill that dog sometimes to get his mouth off it when he's determined to hang on to it. You can pick him up and hold him, and he'll just remain on there like a fish on a hook. We need to be that way with the word of God. Verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, but we're eyewitness. We were inspectors. We were spectators. We saw this very thing. And that's why an eyewitness account in the court of law in our land is so important. It's the one thing that can send somebody to jail for a very long time. When there's one eyewitness... And you've got a jury saying, we, we agree that this person believes that what they saw, and we can't deny it. All the, all the things add up. That's where they were at that time, and they heard this, they saw this. And an eyewitness account is so important. And the Gospels were written by eyewitness accounts, not stories that were handed down through the ages, as some liberal scholars will tell you. No, they were eyewitness accounts. Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses. In Matthew chapter 17, let me just read it. You remember... It says, now after six days, Peter, James, and John, his brother led him up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured, Jesus, before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Notice, that's God the Father saying, Listen to my Son. I've created him for this purpose. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And who was there with him on that Mount of Transfiguration? None other than Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And they fell on their faces, but Jesus came and touched them and says, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. And Jesus giving them a foretaste of what was coming. But eyewitnesses, you can look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Luke would say to this man called Theophilus, notice what he said. Just as those things were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. They delivered them to us, and it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Again, eyewitnesses. And what does it say in Acts chapter 1? Luke being the author of, Luke, uh, of the Gospel of Luke as well, he says, the former account, speaking of the Gospel of Luke, I made, O Theophilus, of all which Jesus began both to do and to preach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, notice, after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Infallible proofs. 
Those are unmistakable proofs that were seen by the enemies of God and also the church. Even the Roman guards had to be paid to keep their mouth shut from what really happened. And they would also save their life in the process. Because they were supposed to be guarding that tomb, and that angel came down and opened that tomb, and those guys hit the, hit the bricks. And in that day and age, if you let your prisoner go, or if you weren't watching what you were supposed to be watching, you could be put to death. For he received, verse 17, from God the Father, honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we just read that in the Transfiguration account. And it also occurred at Jesus' baptism. It says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, when he was being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, we know him, it says when he had been baptized, verse 16, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, "What God the Father, showing his Son, the reality of who his son was. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I think God the Father is pretty well pleased with Jesus, his son. Amen. Aren't you glad you know him? Aren't you glad that he loves you with an everlasting love, regardless of any wicked thing that you've done? I mean, there's nothing that you can do. Until you take your last breath, there is nothing so heinous that you can do to make God look at you and go, you know what, I've really had enough of you. Everyone else will do that, but God will say, you know what, I love you. Doesn't the Bible say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? I wouldn't do that for somebody who was, before my death, if they were still a wretch, I'd be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody realizes what I've done or am doing for them. Just forget it, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go hang out at Lake Sacandaga up in the mountains. But no, <laughs> while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How great of a love is that? Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And didn't he call us friends? Think of the loving kindness of God. Whatever angry vision you have of God, let it be erased because it is wrong. It's wrong. Even in your most wildest, nasty sin that you've ever done. I don't care how bad it is. God can forgive you and he wants to forgive you. Will you allow him to come into your heart today and to change you wonderfully? Will you give it up? Will you give your heart to him completely knowing that he was glad to take away those sins? And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's as if you've never done it. That's what justification is. It's just as if you never did it. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. Bear with me here just for a few more minutes, folks, because I'd really love to get through the rest of this chapter. But when we look at verse 19 now, through the end of the chapter, verse 21, we see now the written prophetic word. In 16 through 18, we saw the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Now we see the written prophetic word. Verse 19, and so, notice Peter says, we have 
the prophetic word confirmed. All the stuff that I've heard before as a Jewish young man, Peter's saying, all the prophecies, all the prophets, all those things that I've learned from my youth, they were confirmed on that mountain when I saw Jesus in, you know, being transformed. Now I know that he is the Messiah. I know that there is a kingdom coming yet, and even yet future for us. It is coming, folks. It is coming. He says, and we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. That's his instruction to the people that he was writing to, these Jews and Gentiles. And it's a- I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.